Visionaries Global Media, your number one source for podcasting entertainment. Welcome to the JGB Sports Podcast episode 8. Uh, we got back late last night from the MEAC, the MEAC tournament, down in Norfolk, Virginia. And we saw three games over two days. And I think that's going to be the basis for the next few episodes of uh, JGB. I think it's way too much to put in one episode. Um, it was something that was really exciting. I'm sure if you follow our Twitter feed, you probably already know the outcome of all this lot, so plenty of spoilers, I'm guessing. Uh, we're trying going to try and stick to it in the order that it happened. And um, for reasons that we're apparently in JJ, we're going to have to change the order of things around a little bit. Uh, first segment, we'll talk about uh, things that have come up in previous episodes or things we forgot about or questions you asked me. And then normally we will do the review and then we'll do the update. Um, we got to do the updates first because the update relates to the tournament, things that happened before the tournament. So we'll switch those two things around. Okay. So I got a question for you. All right. So you know what an RBI is, right? Yes, runner's batted in. Runner's batted in. All right. So imagine you got a runner on first. Okay. And you hit a home run. Yeah. How many RBIs do you get? One. No. Because hmm? you batted yourself in as well. So you'd actually get two. So that was the, um, the reason I'm asking you that question is because I want to make sure you understood that you get you bat yourself in. So you scored a run as well, right? The person on first scored, and then all right. The question is then, it, oh, let me ask you this then. So if the bases are loaded and you hit a grand slam, how many RBIs do you get? Boy. All right, so you got it. Now I forgot to ask you this last week, so I want to do it now. Something happened that has only happened. I think it said one time in history before. Uh, one player got six RBIs from one hit. How? How did that happen? I don't know. <laughs> That's what I wanted to ask you. I don't when know. When you first see the stat, that's like, huh? That doesn't even make any sense. How? All right. Now, I didn't write it down, so I the, I thought about it. I was like, that's weird. The only thing I could think of was, so supposing bases are loaded yeah. and you get walked. Yes. Then as you walk, obviously a run scores, right? Yes. But you didn't get a hit. Yeah. But I was like, that can't have, for that to happen twice in a game has got to be like... There's no way that happened. Like a grand slam, and then two of those, and then anyway, I read the I read what actually happened, and I totally forgot a sacrifice fly. So you know when you hit the ball to the outfield, so the runner can score, that does not count as an at bat for you, and it's obviously not a hit either. So you can bat somebody, you can hit it to the outfield, you're out, but the run can cross the plate. So I think that's what happened. I think it was a grand slam, and then it might have been two sacrifice sacrifice flies or something yeah. but it was such a weird stat that i wanted to ask you to see if you could figure it out and i wondered if you actually understood what an rbi was as well now as we have so much stuff to talk about this week let's get straight into the updates then so we're going to start with coppin state update uh, this is from lubbock texas uh, coppin state's jordan hamburg has been named one of the 10 semi-finalists for the john olerud two-way player of the year the five finalists will be announced on May 30th, with the award presented later in the summer. All ten of the semi-finalists have been named the Olerud Award winner weekly. Uh, winner, sorry, at least once. Okay. With Hamburger, Hamburger, sorry, with Hamburg and Virginia sophomore Devin Ortiz earning the honor twice. Now, I actually recognise the name John Olerud. I wouldn't expect you to uh, recognise it. It was a player from when I was uh, when I first started watching baseball. So I looked up a little bit more because I didn't know what it was. First of all, do you understand what it means by two-way player? 
Yeah. Uh, it means that he plays, um, he's a batter, but he's also a pitcher as well. So he plays both sides of it, right? Um, so the John Oliver Two-Way Player of the Year is presented annually by a college baseball federation to honor, foundation to honor the na nation's top combo pitcher position player. Olerud, who was inducted into the National College Baseball Hall of Fame in 2007, was a standout pitcher and first baseman at Washington State University from 1987 through 1989. Now, that part I didn't know. I don't know anything about people's college careers because I've never really watched college baseball. So I looked up to see how good he was. So from an article by Ryan McGee in June 2020 on ESPN, he might very well have been the greatest college baseball player who ever walked his golden spikes onto campus. Over three seasons, he hit 434 uh, with 33 homers, and he also posted a career pitching record of 26-4. and four. Uh, Mark Marquez, a Stanford coach, said, you would prepare for a series against Washington State by saying, okay, we know John Oliver is going to get his three hits, so just try to minimize the damage he can do with those hits. Then you have to remind everyone that, oh, by the way, he's also pitching Friday night and he hasn't lost a game all year. So, um, yeah, he was a particularly impressive player. Um, one of the stats that it had for one particular year, it said he had a 464 average with 23 home runs and 81 RBIs. On the mound, he was 15-0 with a 2.49 ERA and 113 strikeouts. So, yeah, he was a pretty phenomenal player. And also, I didn't realize this either. Uh, from a video I saw on YouTube, he had a brain aneurysm in his junior year at college. So he had to wear a helmet in the field after that. And he only played three games in the minors before being brought up into the bigs. Normally, you know, they go through like single A, double A, triple A, all that. Three games, and he went straight onto the majors. So that's how good of a player John Olerud was. Um, he never pitched in the majors. Yeah. I thought that was really weird. You had a, you had that type of record, and never once like a relief pitcher or something, or you're in a blowout game and you want to save your pitching arms, your bullpen's arm, never pitched. I thought that was really weird that that happened. Um, the other players came from South Carolina, Clemson, Georgia State, Oklahoma, Stanford, Murray State, Kansas State, and Air Force. But we're not going to know. We're not going to list all those players. Uh, but Air we Force? and the Air Force has their own baseball team. Mm -hmm. People who are training to be in the Air Force. Um, I think that's pretty close to us. Um, I'm not sure if Navy's down in where we were this weekend. I'm not sure. Air Force, I want to say, is around Annapolis. I want to say. Oh, I'm mixing that up. Perhaps Navy's in Air Force. Uh, perhaps Navy's in Annapolis. There's one it of those. It probably is because because we went to one of those games. Yeah, I think Navy's Annapolis. So I'm not sure where exactly where Air Force is, but that's one of the. I think that's one of the big games. Or is it Army versus Navy is the big game? That's the big game in college. But yeah, I guess they have a college like everybody else. They kind of train into be. Perhaps they do studies on top of learning how to be like a soldier, things like that. I don't exactly know for sure. All right, there was a second story which uh, you guys you're going to do for us, JJ. Yep. Norfolk State, Virginia. That's where the article was published from, yep. Okay. Coppin State's Jordan Hamburg was named the MEAC Baseball Pitcher of the Year, while Josh Hankins was named the Rookie of the Year. It was announced by the league office on Tuesday afternoon. Wait, um, so they didn't... Wait, they also said that the catcher for Coppin State, um, like, 15... Um, they were, like, chanting that he was, like, 
um, rookie of the year or something. Oh, during the tournament they were? Yes, during that last game. He is a... Spoiler alert. Um, he is a rookie as well, yes. I can't quite remember his name, but yes, he was definitely a rookie. Because I told, I said, did you notice that they'd switched out catches in between games? Because it's not always easy to tell when they got their uh, all their stuff on. You can't really see their faces. The number's the obvious part, of course. But Yeah, I can... Like, like you could notice from, like, the... Like, if you can see part of their arm uh -huh. like, as well, they have, like, a different skin tone or something. Yeah, like you, you can, there's other ways you can tell as well, but, yeah. Yeah. Nine Eagles were named to all the MEAC first team. So, at the end of the, end of the season, they have, like, the conference, and they named the best player in every single position. So, nine from uh, Coppin State, that's pretty impressive. All right, tell us yeah. who else was named, then. Well, tell us who was named. Hamburg was also named first team at both starting pitcher in utility. So, I'm not sure what? if the utility is, like, the DH. Yeah. I know um, that Jordan plays there. Because um, he doesn't really play. I don't think I've ever seen him play in the field. Because I think they want to kind of rest him a little bit. They want him for his bat when he's not pitching. But I think that's what that means. I think that's the DH. Okay. While Wellington Bosley, um, Marcus Castillo, Mike Dorsian, Justin Johnson, and Corey Miley, Brian Nicholas, and Sebastian Sarabia also seem to... First team uh, accolades. Accolades at their respective point position. position. So Welly, uh, Marcus, uh, both outfielders. Uh, Mike's a catcher. Justin's a, a pitcher, relief pitcher. Corey plays second base, and Brian Nicholas plays third base, and Sebastian plays first base. Okay, so yeah. I wanted to mention all that stuff because obviously when we do our review, we're going to talk about the tournament itself. So I thought that needed to go first. All right, tell us about your Orioles, JJ. How okay. did they do this week, and who are they facing next week? So, for... Wait, what is today, Dad? The 22nd? <laughs> today is the 22nd. Okay, so, so they faced the Tigers on on the 15th. They faced the Yankees. You're going to tell us the results? On the 16th. Tell I'm the saying who they faced, okay. and then I'll say the result. They played the Yankees well, then you've got to go back 17th. and say who the team is again. Just tell us who the team Okay, the Tigers... Uh, they lost one to five. Uh -huh. <laughs> they lost against the Yankees two to six. They lost against the Yankees four to five. They lost against the Yankees two to three. They won against the Yankees nine to six. They won against the Rays eight to six. They lost against the Rays one to six. All right, so not and, a great week then. So and today, five, hold on, hold on. So there was five losses on the week. And two wins. They didn't get a day off last week either, so they yeah. were really busy. All right, who yeah. they got? Who they got upcoming? Oh yeah, they're facing the Rays today mm -hmm. at one thirty-five p.m. Yep. And after, and on the twenty-third, they're facing the Yankees. Twenty-fourth, the Yankees. Twenty-fifth, the Yankees. Day off. Twenty-seventh, mm -hmm. the Red Sox. Twenty-eighth. Doubleheader Red Sox. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's to make up for a game. I'm not quite sure. Uh, perhaps they had one that was rained out. Um, I got a few other things from um, Orioles JJ that I saw this week. You probably didn't watch any highlights at all. Um, I knew that with going out to the tournament this weekend, I needed to get everything done early in the week. Um, Elizabeth Muratore on MLB.com from a Monday night game. Uh, Baltimore's broadcast focused on a little boy proudly sporting an Orioles shirt and a large pin that read, Today is my first Orioles game. With his dad sitting next to him, the boy had been given a ball by a near you nearby New York fan and the boy showed it off and then pitched the ball onto the warning track he was like waving it up and he went 
and launched it onto the field. And Dad's like, no, what are you doing? It, it was pretty funny. Um, the commentator knew what was going to happen. He says, I'm just going to tell you from experience. If you give a five-year-old a ball, a baseball, they're going to sling it somewhere. I'm telling you. And then, sure enough, it did. Um, he did get the ball back. And actually, he I think they might have got two balls. Um, he actually then gave it back to the New York fan in the, who gave it to him in the first place. Uh, also from Monday, uh, Anthony Santander hit a Luis Severino slider that was only nine inches above the ground. Um, that makes it one of the lowest pitches ever hit for a home run since pitch tracking began in 2008. So I was kind of curious to see what the lowest one was. I thought the lowest one would be Vlad Guerrero. Um, it wasn't. Uh, Jock Pedersen hit the lowest one only eight inches above the plate. So you know now where the strike zone is. So go on, tell us what the strike zone is. Um, from the knee okay. to the letters. The letters on your chest, correct. So yeah. nine inches above the plate is way below your knee. Like, you know your knee is more than nine inches. It's like, so. like it's in the middle of your, like, shin. Yeah, it, that's yeah, that's way too low. Um, the highest strike ever uh, for a hit for a home run. Uh, does it say, for, yeah, it does say for a home run. Uh, Mark Trumbo from the Orioles, um, four feet, seven inches above the ground. That's ridiculously high. They did have clips for all these. It was kind of funny. Wait. That's as tall as me. Uh, yeah, so that shows you how high that was then, right? They had the one that was furthest to the left and the furthest to the right as well. And they were about a foot and a half outside the center of the plate and a foot and a half inside the center of the plate. And they still managed to get a home run from them. Um, I thought that was kind of an interesting Wait, stat. which one is the right and which one's the left? Uh, the players, I deleted them because I didn't think it was. I didn't think that part was that good. Um, I thought the, the high-low one was more interesting. And yesterday when I came back, I saw that um, Adley Rutschman, I hope I'm pronouncing it right, uh, was called up after almost three years after he was drafted, and he was baseball's number one prospect per MLB's pipeline. Uh, his first hit was a triple in the seventh inning. I'm still running on nerves right now, he said, just from the second that I walked onto the field to warm up the pitcher to the time I walked into the tunnel and emotional overload. I can't really explain the feeling because it's just unlike anything I've ever experienced. Uh, Baltimore selected him with the first overall pick three years ago, and he became the first number one overall pick in Oregon State baseball history. He was also the first catcher selected with a number one pick since Joe Maurer in 2001. Uh, Joe Maurer was really good, so hopefully this guy can be equally as good. But perhaps those Orioles might be able to get a few more wins. Hey, when You know that when teams lose, they get higher draft picks, right? Mm -hmm. So sometimes it takes a little while for those players to come through. Um, it took this guy three years to make it up to the majors. So when I mentioned earlier, John Olerud came up in three games. <laughs> it's a bit of a difference, right? And he's the number one player as well. So, all right. I'm actually going to get you to tell me about the Red Sox. Tell me who the Red Sox played and then I can, uh, the scores, and I okay. can tell you some facts. They faced the Rangers and they lost one to seven. They, mm -hmm. they won six to three against the Astros. They lost four to 13 against the Astros. They won five to one against... The Astros. They won 12 6 against the Mariners. They won 7 3 against the Mariners. They won 6 5 against the Mariners. And they're placing the Mariners. Today. And who else? Who kids coming? run at the bases? Run the bases. <laughs> Can we go got? there, Dad? <laughs> to Boston? No. Oh. Today? And they're fit. This game's already started, you said. I don't think we'd get there in time. They're facing the White Sox. And then obviously the White Orioles. White Sox, White Sox, Orioles, Orioles. Yeah, three oh, yeah, games. Also, it, the, Mar the last Mariners game is uh, that they're doing right 
right now, uh-huh. this day is one thirty-five p.m. Yes, it is. It is. Yeah. Hopefully, they lose all those games. All right. Well, they are on a bit of a tear right now. Um, so the Red Sox did the opposite of what the Orioles did. Actually, the Red Sox won five and lost two. And uh, it was only two weeks ago when I said I can't even watch these guys team anymore. It's just too painful. And they're only four games out of the wild card right now. So they really started to turn it around a little bit. Uh, Monday night with a win against the Astros, uh, it was Trevor Story was able to unleash all his frustration with one swing at Fenway Park. He hit one onto Lansdowne Street in the bottom of the seventh inning to help lift the Red Sox to a victory. And it was his first ever home run at Fenway as a Red Sox player. Um, a little later in the week, I'm not sure if it was the next day, he actually hit three home runs in one game. So he only had two before for the whole season, and then he hit three in one game. Uh, so that was pretty impressive. And he also hit another one um, later in the week as well. So Trevor Story is finally doing well. Um, Tuesday's game was a little painful, though, JJ. Um, a team has hit five home runs in a single inning just eight times. And unfortunately, one of them was the Astros game. Uh, Nationals did it in uh, 2017. Yankees Cop. did it in 2020. Brewers did it in 2006. And then everything before that was before the 60s. And so Coppin all... State did it t- yesterday. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Spo- no, they didn't hit five home runs in an inning. I think oh, there was yeah. only one home run in the whole tournament, as far as I know. So, oh, no, yeah. incorrect fact. Um, we allow- Also, allowing five home runs in an inning. Nath- they left Nathan Eovaldi in the whole time. Normally, if you get through that stage, they'll pull the pitcher. They just left him in. Uh, Chase Anderson, Michael Blazek also did the same thing as well. All right, let's get to the review time. But first of all, we've got to talk about the first. So the tournament's a double elimination tournament. On uh, the Thursday, it was number one versus number four. And then the second game was number two versus number three. And then after that, it's a double elimination. So winner plays winner, loser plays loser. The teams that have one win then play each other. And then the next day is the final. And the team that's won both its games so far, if they win on the first day, uh, the win on the first game of the final, that's it, game over. They've already the other team has already had two losses, and if not, they have to go to a second one. So we could not make it down on the third. We could not skip school Wednesday, unfortunately, and get down for the Thursday tournament. I had um, SOL training. I had SOL testing, so I had to be there for that one. But we did leave as soon as school finished. I came and got you. Uh, we drove on down. Um, anything you want to talk about about the drive down there? No. All right. Well, I want to talk about the GPS taking us to totally the wrong place. <laughs> I typed in we what went it into said it was. an army base. Yeah, there was a base down there, and he's like, uh, "Sir," he's like, "Do you know this is a base?" I was like, "Look, it says on the GPS it was a right turn. We could see like a road going to the right. We thought we had to go through this gate and then take a right." So, yeah, he took my driver's license from me, made us do a U-turn, gave him the driver's license back, and then we left. And then he gave us the wrong directions as well. He said, "Yeah, need to take a left up here," and then we, it wasn't a left; it was a right. But anyway, we got there. Uh, we got about seven thirty, and you course wanted to go straight to the beach and i was like that's fine because we had picked yeah. a hotel that was less than a mile away so we went to uh, east beach and you want to talk about the beach at all um like it was like it kind of stayed kind of shallow like even far out yeah it wasn't that Unlike deep like virginia beach <laughs> and we'll talk about that later we went to there on the last day okay so yeah you had fun on the beach we couldn't get stay there too long because it was time to get dark um we picked up a, a pizza and... Uh, Woodfire sourdough pizza. Yeah, we, we saw a food truck. Um, triple that was cheese. Near a bar. Well, triple... three trees. Three, three, three trees. Three trees. Three trees. 
Now, and then as we were eating the pizza, I was like, all right, let's find out what the scores were. And actually, the second game was still going on. All right, I guess we need to talk about the first game, first of all, JJ. So go ahead. Tell us about Thursday, game one. Okay. Now, I know you didn't see this, so I just, I just, you got the box score. So you got to tell us what oh, yeah. you can see from the box score. Wait, this. So this is Delaware State versus Norfolk yeah, State. Yeah, this is the funniest, like, thing ever, because. It is? Yeah. Okay. No, like, how North. Like, about Norfolk State. I will say that later. Okay. Okay, so Delaware, Delaware State versus Norfolk State. Okay, so in the first inning, Delaware State got one. Second inning, Norfolk State got two. In the third inning, Delaware State got one. Okay, so it's 2-2, two -two, so basically it's a new game going into the fourth. All right, keep going. In the fourth inning, Delaware State got three. In the fifth inning, Norfolk State got two. In the sixth inning, Delaware State got one. In the and uh, no more runs after that until the ninth, and Norfolk State got two. And that actually tied the game up at six to six. So we actually had extra innings in this first game. And the and then the and in the tenth, Delaware State got one. They did. Delaware State had ten hits against Norfolk State seven. Uh, seven to six. Couple of errors by both teams. Um, it was three hours and 49 minutes, so this is a really long game. Uh, 88 degrees. The weather was really nice down in Norfolk this weekend, and this game was no exception to that. And because this game was so long, that's what made the second game so long as well. So, all right, so this was Coppin State versus Maryland Eastern Shore. Okay. So tell us about this one, then. So in the first inning, Maryland Eastern Shore got four. <laughs> in the yep. next inning, they got two. So they're already 6-0 up. And in the third inning, Coppin State got, gets 3. In the fourth inning, they get 6. And no more runs until the 7th and 8th inning, where, where Maryland Eastern Shore got 1 in both those innings. They did. So final score, Coffin State won 9-8. Eight, uh, they had 16 hits scattered around, but just couldn't convert many of those. Um, Maryland Eastern Shore only had 7 hits. Uh, Coppin State committed 2 errors as well, which gave them uh, some extra chances for scores. Uh, winning pitcher was Jordan Hamburg, and um, Rashad Ruff came in for the save. And um, Jordan Hamburg threw 114 pitches. I know we talked recently about 100 pitches being a key number. And um, Rashad Ruff in the uh, save came in for 41 pitches over 3 innings. 120 well. pitches. Where did that come from? The final. Oh, we're not talking about the final. We're talking about in the order we had to it. So, Friday's game. This is the one that we're really reviewing. Um, I said you'll probably uh, sleep in because we kind of stayed up late. We watched some... Uh, we actually watched Orioles-Yankees on the TV that night because we had ESPN on cable. And uh, you're like, no, I'm going to be up early. And you were. So, we were about six. Uh, you went to the... Can I go to the beach again? I was like, sure. But you wanted, your, you wanted to wear your uh, swimsuit this time. You wanted your trunks on. So, that was fine. So, you can you can go under the water and you could... So, we did that um came back got changed um went to the zoo um had a look around the zoo uh this golf course that was nearby on granby street we couldn't it was like one hole was available we were only going to be there for like 20 minutes anyway so it was that wasn't Yay. a big problem and Mercy then we got bro. there and we got there and um yeah went to pay and they're like yeah you got to order tickets online so i had to get the phone out uh, we had to figure all that stuff out. Oh, as we arrived, actually, we had no idea what the campus looks like or anything. We got to the gate. They got security there. And uh, we're like, oh, we're here for the baseball game. Someone's and like, first day. And he's like, okay, go ahead. And I was like, um, where do we park? And I was like, where's visitors parking? He's like, I don't know. It's my first day here. And we saw the visitors parking. But everything said you had to have a decal or else you're getting towed. So it was kind of really confusing. Um, there was street.
street parking. So we just parked on the street next to the softball. Um, so we had probably like, I don't know, three, four minute walk each time. Weren't sure if you could take drinks in or anything, so we left everything in the car. Um, anyway, so yeah, we made it for the start for this one. Um, JJ, if you got memories or thoughts, you can tell us those, or you got the box score there. Mercy rule. Before that, tell us how we got to the mercy rule. Considering uh, this was Delaware State with the number one seeds for this. Oh yeah, and they'd actually 14... kind of beaten Coppin State recently, so as well. So it was fourteen to five, and we're like. You want to read that again a little more closely? No, and we. Wait, was it 14 to 5? You want to read it a little more closely? Oh, I see what you mean. Okay, yeah. you're skipping through stuff. Okay, so, okay, at the end of six innings, it was 14 to 5 to Coppin State, yeah. Yeah, and, and we just left in case they got, in, in case Delaware State got nine With, somehow. Yeah, well, there, well, there's two things. One thing was, there was another museum we wanted to go to, which was the Nordicus Museum, but we knew we weren't going to get very long there. And so we're like, hey, look, if they lose now from nine runs up, I don't particularly want to see that anyway. Um, why don't we leave and then go to this Nordicus Museum? And that's actually what we did. USS and it, Wisconsin. And it was really cool. Yeah, the yeah the USS Wisconsin was there. It's one of the biggest battleships, one of the latest battleships that was ever built. And um, yeah, I, I'm really glad we did it. And actually, the final score was 15 to 5. So we were actually... Uh, pretty mercy accurate for this roll. one. It was. They came with the mercy rule. I'd heard people talking about that before. I didn't realize they did that in tournament play, to be honest. But they were like, yeah. So I think it was the same with Masons. If you're 10 down in the last in with one in to go, then they just call it because it's kind of pointless at that point. Um, do you want to talk about the score a little bit? Mm. You got the breakdown of the runs. We just said it was high scoring. So First inning. Copied state one. They got one run. Hmm? Delaware State got two runs. So the lead's Second already Second inning. Coppin State got two runs. Hmm? Delaware State got zero. The third inning. Delaware State got two. Coppin State got one. So after three then, it's already tied four to four. So this is a close game at this point. In the fourth inning, Coppin State got five. Delaware State got one. Hmm? In the fifth inning, Coppin State got two. Delaware State got zero. The sixth inning, Coppin State got three. Delaware State got zero. And no more runs scored until the eighth when one run for Coppin State. And that one one run was kind of important because I actually kind of saved the, um, the pitcher's arms because they only had to play eight. If they had been one less, I think they would have had to play the ninth one. Now, most of the runs then were scored from the fourth because it was five at that point. So, uh, Sarabia with a single to left field. Uh, Dorsian walked, uh, which got an RBI. Uh, Nicholas, oh, that's Brian Nicholas. Oh, they right the other way around. Uh, Brian Nicholas doubled to right field, three RBIs. Uh, I'm just reading the copy in runs here. Uh, John Hamburg doubled to right field for an RBI. Uh, Marcus Castillo uh, flied into a double play, but there was an RBI from it. Uh, Brian Nicholas singled to second base for two RBIs. And um, Justin Hawkins uh, ground out to shortstop, but that was also an RBI. Uh, Josh, uh, I'm, I'm reading wrong. Sorry, Josh Hankins. I apologize. I'm reading the wrong names here. Um, I did look at the thing. Um, there was a lot for Brian Nicholas. Brian Nicholas, five RBIs on the game. Uh, Mike Dorsian had a couple as well, and uh, Josh Hankins had a couple as well. And there were several people with one. Uh, the pitchers, Tyler Nichols took the win. 6.2 innings, gave up five runs. 134 pitchers. Whew. That's a workhorse right there. He just saved his whole bullpen right there. Uh, John Neald came in for 1.1 innings and threw 17 uh, pitches. Uh, John Neald came in in a few games, so he was also somebody who Coppin State relied on uh, heavily. 
And um, anything specific about this match? You mm. just kind of just read the numbers. No. Anything you remember? You don't want to talk about the fact of the trains or anything like that? Because you were kind of obsessed with those. Uh, no. No. You kind of, uh, for this one, you just kind of... So we oh, the, we the, got a baseball really early in the day. <laughs> You said you wanted a baseball from the tournament, and you did manage to get one, because it was actually hit behind. We and... got five, actually. <laughs> yeah, some of them you gave back, because you they were part of that thing. But yeah, somebody, people kept giving them to you as well, thinking, I don't think you had a ball. And in the end, you ended up with a lot over, particularly on the second day, that's for sure. And um, there was very little shade. When we got there, it was kind of like the only back, I think it was back five rows or something like that. So we kind of sat on the fifth row because all the other rows were taken. And then I let you scoot back to another row. But yeah, I got a little bit of sunburn on my knee because I forgot to reapply uh, uh, sun, sun shield. So it was nice. a very hot day. Um, I think it was like 90. I think it was 90s, mid 90s. So that was another reason for kind of wanting to leave, actually. It was so hot. Like, it was like, if we can get out of this heat, that probably wouldn't be a bad thing if, they, if they're going to make breeze, a final. Though. There was a breeze, which was helpful, but it was still it was still kind of hot. So yeah, you kind of sat with me for most of this game. I guess because it was just that one single game, uh, whereas when we talk about the next episode, then that's certainly will change. Um, the other thing was, we didn't think that there was a concession stand. Um, we went back to the car to get drinks and a few little snacks, and then actually we saw, where are people coming from with hot dogs? Anyway, we found the concession stand, so I got a hot dog, you got some popcorn. And then we found out they weren't going to be concessions the following day. It's like, ugh. So, anyway, we made it work for us. Um, I'm trying to remember if there was anything else specific about this one. Uh, I just remember that the first, it was really close. It was kind of a game of two It's halves. like the worst place baseball field ever. Why? Because it's right next to a, tr a train line. Okay. Like, so many that baseballs got hit on fans can get there, then. You, got, you need transportation so the fans can get there as well. But they should, like, put a net in front of it so, like, the baseballs don't, like, so they don't lose so many baseballs. Yeah, possibly. It's expensive to do that. We've talked about that before. It's expensive when that happens. So, there was one ball, I remember, that was just over the other side of the fence. There yeah. Was a, there was a fence, but it was, I understand what you're saying. But think how high some of them went. Some of them went as high as the top of the floodlights. Like, you can't make a fence that high, JJ. When baseballs hit the top edge and they go up, like, you're just not going to be able to protect all that. Um, I was going to say, for me, it was a game of two halves. The first half was kind of nervous because the teams were so close to each other. They just kept training runs. And then in the second half, once they broke through, then that kind of made um yeah that made all the difference for this one yeah i'm trying to think if there was anything from the even oh you went to the beach again oh well, that was actually the day you walked thirty thousand steps nauticus we already talked about nauticus at the start you already talked about it oh yeah i pet a shark there too you did yeah anything else from the museum you want to talk about there was a submarine I got to like, move the arm. There was. Yeah, there was a lot of cool things. It was, it was an interactive one. I actually posted um, after the game... Ooh, magnetic fishing. ...that um, got to see um, some amazing offense in Norfolk today. Number one, the USS Wisconsin, and number two, Coppin State Baseball. Because they were, obviously, those two things were kind of linked together for me. Um, yeah, we walked 30,000 steps that day. You might have walked even more because you were kind of running around on the beach as well. And you do smaller steps than what I do. So who knows how many steps that you did on that one. And, um, yeah, so that set it up. Um, there were two games afterwards, but we'll talk about those on the next episode. And um, that those two games will decide who Coppin State faces um, in the final. <laughs> 
this week in baseball, I kind of uh, found a lot of these stories pretty early in the week, JJ. As always, if I do the research, I think you can do a little bit of reading. So go ahead and tell us about story one. This was a weird one, so I thought you'd like this one. The Pirates didn't record, record. record a single hit from Hunter Green of the Reds, but they did not lose. All right. So that means then if they didn't give up a single hit then, that means that's a no-hitter, right? Yeah. But they didn't lose. That's kind of weird, right? That's like six RBIs with one hit. All right, come on then, tell us the rest of the story. Um, How on earth did that happen? Um, Thanks to three straight walks and a fielder's choice in the eighth inning, the Pirates spoiled Green's brilliant performance and squeezed out enough offense to beat the Reds 1-0. to zero. Pittsburgh became the sixth team to win a game without a single hit. So you can't really, you can't get a perfect game and lose. That's impossible. But if you have a no-hitter, you can obviously walk people and then you can choose who you want to throw out and things like that. Or you could, once you get a runner on base, you can steal a base as well. So you can score runs, but it's only happened six times in history. Don't, then write down the other five. Oh. You don't need to know that, do you? I do. Or is that my homework for next week? That's your homework. All right. Hopefully I can find that same article. Wayne Wright and... Oh. Uh, 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 uh. All right, story two from St. Louis. Albert Pujols made his first career pitching appearance Sunday night, closing out a 15-6 blowout for the St. Louis Cardinals over the San Francisco Giants that gave Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina the major league record for wins by a starting battery. And you're going to talk a little bit about more on that in a second. Um, the Cardinals were ahead by 13 runs, so the manager wanted somebody to throw the final inning so they wouldn't have to waste a reliever. Do you remember the guy who threw like 50 miles an hour, hit the person on the arm and he dropped down like he didn't really hurt? Sometimes you do that. You want to bring in outfielders. Albert Pujols, clear Hall of Famer. He was like, yeah, I've never pitched before. I've always wanted to pitch. So it was like, yeah. It said they were looking, and I was like, I'll do it. Why not? Um, Pujols, the Cardinals designated hitter, entered to pitch in the ninth inning for the first time in his 22-year career. He gave up a three-run homer to Luis Gonzalez, gave up a solo home run to Joey Bart, but managed to get the final three outs with plenty of margin to spare. So they were up by 13. So the fact he gave up four runs didn't make any difference at all. Uh, a dream come true to say that I did it, said Pujols. It was fun. It wasn't fun giving up two bombs. I think the fans had a good time, and I'm sure the guys that took me deep did too. At 42 years old, Pujols became the oldest player to make his pitching debut since Lena Blackburn, who bought himself in at age 42 in his final game as a player manager for the 1929 Chicago White Sox. Now, I know you always like to know the other people as well, so I did actually look up this person. There is no real mention of the fact that he was the oldest player to make his debut as a pitcher. But they did have something else that's kind of interesting. I, well, I thought was interesting. Blackburn made an unusual and valuable contribution to baseball when he discovered a special use for the clay from the Delaware River to take the shine off baseballs before each game. At the start, the mid-1930s baseball teams used a variety of substances to rub baseballs. Tobacco juice, shoe polish, dirt from the field, or a combination. But nothing they gave, nothing they tried gave the balls the right feel or look. Blackman searched for the perfect rubbing compound until one day he found a mud that he liked close to home. By 1938, he was supplying the mud to all American League teams, but refused to sell the mud to National League teams until the mid-50s. Apparently, he hated the National League, and that's why he didn't sell it to him. Why? Since then, because he was an American League person. Since then, every major and minor league team has used only his product. Um, the mud is still collected today from a new secret location. Ooh. Uh, one container, a little more than 16 ounces, will usually last a season. 
and the process of creating the mud was featured in a pilot episode of the television show Dirty Jobs on Discovery. Now that video is actually on YouTube, JJ. So the balls, if you get them brand new, it kind of slips out the hand a little bit. It doesn't look perfect. So they actually, yeah, they deliberately showed it showed you rubbing the 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 thing onto the ball to take off some of the shine on it. But yeah, every team, major or minor, all uses the same product that that player discovered, like nearly a hundred years ago. Like this was 1929 when he pitched on the thing. This is 1938 he supplied all the teams. But yeah, it's been going for nearly 100 years. So I thought that was kind of a much more interesting fact. Um, but yeah, I would like to see that now. Um, my question is, and I don't know who I would ask this to. Hopefully somebody who's listening might know. Do they do this like to every baseball at the start of the season? Do they do it before the start of each game? Wait, if it's before like... the start of each game, I want to be able to watch that sometime. Or can you imagine if they let you do that? Like, hey, here, get some, put some on the ball. I think it'd be really, I, I don't know. I don't know how they That'd do it. That would be cool, like you just stick your hand in and rub it all Well, over. it's not too much. It's had a 16 ounce jar. That's pretty small, right? That lasts the whole season. So it showed, I'll show you the video later. But yeah, they just get a little bit and then they just rub it on just a little bit to take the shine off the so ball they a little get, bit. Like, the a little bit, little like bit. only a microscope. I guess it's well, not put that it on, tiny. And then they rub it. I guess it's like when you brush your teeth, you don't put a massive amount of toothpaste on, or you're not supposed to. You're supposed to put like a size of a pea or some kind of thing. So that was my fact about that. Now, you can do your fact then, because this continues from that same game. Wainwright and Molina broke, broke the major the... league mark with their 203rd victory as a starting battery. What is a batter? Okay, that means the combo. So one pitcher, one catcher. So that's the most that any two people like that um, have had. Um, I'm going to read the next box. You might not know the next. They passed Warren Spahn and Del Crandell, who amassed 202 wins for the Boston and Milwaukee Braves from 1949 to 1963. Okay, the duo has started 311 games together for the St. For St. Louis. Mm -hmm. Third all-time behind... Spawn uh, and Crandell. Spawning Crandell. With 316, so they're not that far behind them. And Mickey Lalich and Bill Freehand, 324, for the Detroit Tigers from 1963 to 1975. So, to go for the most games as a pitcher-catcher combo, um, they need uh, 14 more. So, you normally pitch every five days, so in theory then, that's like 70 games. So they're probably like two, three months, probably like three months down the line, JJ. That might be another record that they break. But right now they do hold it for the most number of wins. And my last one that I had, here's another question. I started the show off with a question like, how the heck did this happen? I'm going to see if you can figure out this one as well. You understand what it means to be a leadoff hitter? Mm, like the first person to hit? All right. So Wilson Contreras, the leadoff hitter, became just the 10th Major League player since 1901 to belt a Grand Slam in the first inning. So how on earth did a leadoff hitter get a Grand Slam in the first inning? Um... Oh! <laughs> I like finding facts, and then I was like, if you don't know the context, it might be confusing I you. think I know. Alright. Like, they, they, like, did the, like, the per like a person, the... Like a different, like not the pitcher throws it, but like someone else, like, you know, they sometimes do that. Like they did that and then he just hits it really But that hard. wouldn't be a home, I didn't say a home run. I said a grand slam. He hits so it you out know of what the a field. You know what a grand slam is, right? Yeah, he hits it out of the field. No, no, a grand slam means there's somebody on every base. So how on earth did the leadoff hitter in the first inning get a grand slam? 
Huh? I didn't think you'd done that. <laughs> I thought... I like finding these ones where it doesn't make sense and trying to make you think, see if you can figure it out. I don't know. Alright, so, and the, I don't know what happened is it first at bat, but after that, they kept getting hit after hit after hit after hit after hit, or getting on base on base on base, uh. and it came round to the person, when it came round to the second time he had bat, the bases were loaded and he hit a grand slam. Uh, Sarah Lang's on Twitter, um, listed all the different people who'd actually got them, so Wilson Contreras, uh, George Springer did it in 2016, uh, Danny Tardable, Von Hayes, Rick Miller, Jose Cardinal, Jim Landis, Harvey Kuhn, uh, Pete Fox and Bill Sissel was the first person to do it in uh, July uh, 1934. I don't know why I put this in my notes. I said in my notes here, I'll explain next week. I don't know why I'd wait to tell you that. Perhaps I was going to let you think about it and then tell you in the following episode, like a little cliffhanger. That might have been a good idea. All right, JJ. Do I have a question, Dad. Go ahead. Um, has everyone, has anyone ever like hit um? I'm like a grand slam, but like out, like they hit it over the the stands, like it goes out of the field. You saw it this week. I showed you Trevor Story's home run. He hit it into Lansdowne Road. It went over the top of the green monster and went to no, the like, outside. No, like a grand slam. Oh, a grand slam. Probably Trevor Story's grand slam this week probably did that. Yes, that's definitely happened. I don't know who was the first How to do it. How many people though? I would imagine lots. Okay. I would imagine lots. Wait, um, there's not about... many stadiums where you can do it, but um, Lansdowne Road certainly one of them. I'm trying to think if Wrigley Field might be another one you can do it. At. Um, there's certain ones you, you can can't do it, do it at. in. You could do it in like a college one. Um, you could do it in a college. Um, well, college that's a little easier because it's just the fences though on that one for most of them. So that would be a little different. All right, you got some outro music for us. Yes. <laughs>